This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. In this episode, we catch U.S. Ski Team head coach Chris Grover, where he was stateside on December 29th. He'll return to Europe mid-tour to ski, where he'll accompany some U.S. sprinters to an OPA Cup race in Slovenia. We also talk with U.S. Ski Team member Jesse Diggins after Grover, but those are minor details. I contacted Grover to get some insight into how he might use what's called a competition analysis. As the name suggests, it's some minor number crunching that involves a racer's split times. Those split times are organized by what Fisk calls sectors. In other words, sectors are a specific section of the race course. It also should be noted that FIS sends out these competition analyses to coaches after each race. So here's where I'm hoping you might have access to a screen. Check out the competition analysis PDF from the women's December 10th, 15-kilometer individual freestyle race in Davos, Switzerland. I have it linked with the story accompanying the podcast on Faster Skier's site. Take a few minutes to explore the document. Okay, we're back, and I'm hoping you had more than a moment to familiarize yourself with the Davos competition analysis. But here's a few things to note. First, you'll see the course profile with distance in meters running along the x-axis, and altitude in meters on the y-axis. The Davos course used that weekend was comprised of a gradual up and gradual down for a total of 5k. The women did three laps of the 5k loop. Second, below the x-axis, you'll see the course profile is color-coded according to homologation criteria, as in how steep or flat the terrain is. That also includes a blue designation for descending terrain. I won't go over the homologation details in this podcast, but I'll link to the 2016 FIS cross-country homologation manual on the Faster Skier site if you want to check that out. Third, Each athlete has a set of race data. The cumulative time is an athlete's total elapsed time on course, and all the data reads like a book from left to right. So breaking down the winner's info, that'd be Norway's Osberg. It took her six minutes, one second, and nine tenths of a second to race from the start to the 2.2 kilometer mark. Her sector time would have been the same time, six minutes, one second, and nine tenths. That same section of trail on her second lap would have been from 5 kilometers to the 7.2 kilometer mark. On that second pass, Osberg's sector time was 5 minutes, 53 seconds, and 3 tenths, over 8 seconds faster. Lots of numbers here, but I'm hoping this info gives you a basic idea of how the FIS competition analysis is organized. Okay, well, we're about to talk to Chris, and after we talk to Chris, we'll get a brief intro to Jesse. If you can kind of describe your role, you know, U.S. ski team head coach, you guys are, you've broken down the wax trailer, and, you know, you've cleaned up, and FIS sends you this competition analysis. What do you usually do with that? Well, the first thing that we, I mean, we always do with it is we make sure all that the interested parties have a copy of it. So it goes to every athlete that competes in the race and it goes to their personal coaches if they have a personal coach as well. So obviously, as you know, we have a system where we have national team coaches that are the direct coach 
for some of the national team athletes. But then we have personal coaches like Pepa Malochova, like Eric Flora, like Zach Caldwell. So we are making sure that all of the personal coaches of athletes that competed that day also have a copy of that so that they have an understanding of where the athletes that they work with did well on a particular course and where they struggled. And, you know, I think as a staff, um, we might be discussing as a national team coaching staff what we're seeing in uh, what we're seeing with particular athletes in that um, analysis. We're utilizing it the way that you just, you know, nothing, nothing fancy to what we're doing. We're just utilizing it the way that you might imagine. And that is taking a look at where certain athletes were competitive and where they struggled. And sometimes there's a wax issue involved, but often it's a technique issue or it is a pacing issue or it is a fitness issue. So to take, for example, a course like Davos, which is kind of a very special course in the way that it skis. How would you describe Davos as skiing? What makes it special? It's a special course in that it's defined or characterized by a lot of gradual climbing in the first half of the course and then a lot of gradual descent in the second half of the course. And I'm talking about, well, any of the distance courses, they all kind of, they all ski up the Fluella Valley, so they all ski the same way. And whether you're talking about the 5K the 6K that they use for men or the 7.5K that they often try to utilize on a good snow year, they all kind of ski the same way. But the defining characteristic of that course is that with all of this gradual downhill, the athletes really have to work the downhill in order to have a good race. We've had athletes that have been, you know, at the high point of the course on the last lap, um, really in contention for, say, a top 10, top 15, top 5 finish, whatever, and paced it so that they were really done with their race, basically, at the top of the course. And by the time they got down to the finish line, after all this gradual down, they were 20 seconds out, 30 seconds out. So on this course, it's really possible to give away so much time on the, on the downhill. And the downhill in Davos really has a couple defining characteristics. One is a top section with a lot of gradual that really has to be worked aggressively. And then a chicane or, or S-turn section that has to be skied very technically well. And to be successful on the downhill section of the Davos course, you need to have somewhat fresh legs. So you can't get to the high point of the course on your last lap and just destroy yourself to the point where you, you're not fresh enough to really push it on the downhill. So we've had most athletes on the team learn that lesson the hard way, even though it's something that we, we do analyze and discuss every year. But that's an example of where these intermediate timing points. And Davos is great in particular because it actually has a fair number of intermediate timing points on the Fluella course. Uh, but that's an example of where these intermediate timing points um, really give us good information because they, they're able to break, segment the course and we can analyze how people skied on the ups, how they skied um, across the top flat section, how they skied you know, through the downhill, and then give feedback to where people are making or losing time during that course. You know, you take a course like Davos in the downhill, we really spent some time working on on skiing that downhill aggressively and building people's confidence through the week. And 
as we were there training in Davos for the week, approaching the competition, there were some changes to the downhill in the way that like the, the really technical S-turns were um, structured and banked. And so as we went through the week, we were kind of adjusting technique and speed and line through those corners based on the changes that were happening and the conditions. And then, of course, when race day comes, um, you have to adjust again based on, on how it's skiing and how much it's been skied by previous athletes and how blown out the corners are, icy or burned and all that sort of thing. We know about the importance of that downhill, so we're spending the week really working on it, with, with key, especially with key athletes who tend to struggle on that aspect of the course. A U.S. athlete not struggling with that part of the course is Jesse Diggins, who I caught up with the evening before the Tour de Ski's Stage 1 Sprint in Valmustier, Switzerland, the evening of December 30th. I asked Diggins how she used the Davos data. Again, she placed fourth overall, 54.3 seconds behind the winner, Osberg. Here's Diggins. To preface this conversation... I think it's important to say that I don't always spend a ton of time looking at them because um, they are, as I'm sure you saw, are a little complicated and (laughs) hard to understand and hard to read. But when I do look at them, they are very informative. It usually backs up something that I already know. I might be like, oh, I thought my, you know, this section of the race is where I could improve the most. And then I can check it out and be like, yep, that's the section that I need to work on. And so you obviously in this race, we're looking at that uh, competition and analysis from the 15K free in Davos where you placed fourth. And, you know, I had Chris talk a little bit about how the course skis. And I'm curious from your perspective, you know, how, do, how does the course ski and how does it suit you or how does it not suit you? The course is a very, we, we always say it's a sneaky course in that it's extremely hard without looking hard. When you ski one lap of it, you might be like, oh, this won't be so bad. I can put my head down and hammer because there's no crazy hills. But because of that, there are no places to rest. And so the entire thing is one long grind. And uh, to add to that, it's at altitude. So if you do go a little too hard and blow up, you don't recover. Like, you, your race is gone. <laughs> and I know this because I've done it many times. So basically, when you head out uh, to race that race, you're trying to kind of redline it. You're going as hard as you can without blowing up and steadily just grinding away. It's it's an incredible amount of focus, technique. Yeah, and you just have to be able to keep going on a course that where it's the grade of uphill where you're like, not sure if you should V1 or V2, and you should probably V2, but you feel really slow. It's, it's very awkward. <laughs> Let's backtrack a bit here. In that race on her first lap from kilometer 3.2 to kilometer 5, which is a working downhill, Diggins skied the fastest sector time. But as she began her second lap and skied the gradual uphill from 5K to 7.2K, that's where Diggins slowed down a bit. That's also where Osberg gained some time. Diggins skied the sector in 6 minutes 16 seconds, Osberg in 5 minutes 53 seconds, a gain of 24 seconds in that sector alone. That's nearly half of the cumulative gain Osberg put on Diggins during the entire 15K race. I asked Diggins about this sector and what her takeaways were. 
you might have placed, say, fourth in the race, but one segment, I skied 30th place. Like, I skied the 30th fastest sector at one point, which is not as good. And then a lot of, and then one of them I tied for first, and I tied for second. And so you can see what sections of the course I'm good at and what sections of the course were not my strengths. And that's basically the data that you can gain from it and say, like, okay, where did Ingvild put all the time on me? Okay, like, it was in my second lap. That's where I got really tired. That's where she put the huge amount of time. Do you attribute that to kind of just like pacing on that second lap going out too hard? The second lap, I got worried about trying to finish with a strong lap because I could feel some fatigue and not things weren't flushing. So I dialed it back a little bit. But to focus on the positive, like I always do, I won one of the sections, tied for first, and I tied for second um, in two other of the segments. So looking at it that way, I knew my strength was going to be on the gradual downhill because I knew how to glide it out and how to take the corners well. Um, And I also wanted to make sure if I blew up at the top, I was going to lose way more than the 25 seconds I lost there on the downhill. And so uh, at the top of the last lap, um, I was tied for eighth place, I believe. Nope, I was in fourth, I guess. But my coaches were telling me you were like an eighth, and I was able to climb my way back to fourth on that downhill. And I knew I couldn't finish strong and couldn't finish with the speed I needed to have an overall good race if I blew up on the uphill. So it was purposeful conservative skiing. I think it was potentially too much conservative skiing, but I don't know. Looking at it, I think it's definitely something I can work on is that like that slow, long grind. But uh, I don't focus usually on the negatives. I look at like, okay, where am I good? Where can I get better? Great. Moving on. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because you're right. I mean, that 30th is a total anomaly when you look at every other split where you're in pretty much top five. Because it's easy, it's easy, so easy to beat yourself up as a skier. And it's so easy to have people be like, oh, what did you do here? Why did you lose all this time? Why, you know, and and you're like, okay, like, let's take a break for a second. Like, let's focus on how we did well. And it doesn't matter how you ski each split if your overall result is what you need. So you have to pick on the course where can you maximize your strengths and where can you maximize, like, okay, like, if, if I know, the course is one long uphill and one long downhill for me. The only way I'm going to have a great race is if I can crush the long downhill. And so that was like my tactic. Whereas like someone else who's really good at the uphill might be like, oh, you know what? Screw the downhill. Like I need to crush this uphill. That's my shot. And so I think different skiers look at a course and take it apart and plan their own pacing based on how they think um, they need to meter their energy. When you think about, you know, when you move away from, say, looking at, you know, your Davos race and you obviously, I think, you you know, you start the tour to ski tomorrow. Is this something that you kind of, obviously, you're probably not pulling up these competition analysis again, you know, after kind of looking at them a few times or like, okay, and you know yourself as an athlete, but are there some takeaways from something like this race or are each one of the venues kind of discrete depending on obviously, you know, profile, altitude, 
snow conditions, how fast your skis are, et cetera? Yeah, that's a great question because I think there is some crossover venue to venue. But like you said, there's like a million and one variables, right? And you're looking at it, you're like, oh my gosh, like if it snows overnight, that completely changes how fast we're going to ski, which means, you know, if you're at altitude and you have really fast snow, that's going to make it very different than really slow, cold, abrasive snow. Um, because you have to pace it totally differently. Okay. Hey, thanks, Jesse, and best of luck next week. Take care. Thanks very much. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Nordic Nation's brief dive into FIS's Davos Women's 15K competition analysis, and I hope you had a good holiday. Thanks. Thanks.